Hello, and thank you for joining me for Real Matters of the Heart, where we say life is about chances, and you can determine how many you take, but not how many you get. My name is Joy, your host. Thank you so much for joining me today. Today, we're going to be talking all about faith, and it's going to be a good one because I want to touch on some of the sensitive topics. I think faith and religion in general are just pretty sensitive. People get kind of stretched out of shape when you challenge their beliefs, and rightfully so, because largely your beliefs are what you base your life decisions on. And so when somebody is telling you what you believe is wrong or bad or any other thing, it can feel like you are personally under attack and, and your life and the way you live it is under attack. So I get it. But let me be clear, this is not about me at all trying to stretch you out of shape, change your mind about anything or whatever that is. This is about me talking to someone who I admire, who I respect, whom I trust um, with regard to my faith and wanting to just kind of dive into some of the questions that I have. And I know that there are a lot of us who have questions, and sometimes those questions can cause us to turn our backs and walk away and completely just deny everything that maybe we've been taught or grown up to believe. So without further ado, I want to introduce to you Bishop James Ray Taylor. Have him say a few words, and then we're going to jump right on in. Well, Joy, I thank you for uh, allowing me to be a part. Excited to be a part of your medium and uh, step into your world and uh, be a part of how you are, uh, you know, just changing, uh, you know, those in your sphere and those who are, you know, even uh, without. Uh, I'm excited to be a part and I'm glad to be a part of this conversation. Yeah, I'm, I'm, this is this is going to be, I want y'all to know he got the Bibles out. No, <laughs> just, one, just one, one Bible. Okay, one it's, Bible. One, it's one Bible. It's, it's a Bible and an Bible. It's That's not... It. <laughs> I just want you guys to know that this is not just two people who love and believe in God um, kind of hypothesizing. This is this is real life truth stuff. Um, and so we get to honor that and we get to respect that and we get to dissect it. You know, and that, I think that's important with regard to our growth as individuals that we do Amen. ask questions. Right. So right. this is not just something that's being handed down. I was just telling sharing with him earlier, like I didn't really grow up in church. I decided as an adult to go back to something that I had, you know, been familiar with and been introduced to, but it wasn't something that was necessarily a part of woven into the fabric of who I am. So when I made that decision as an adult, a lot of what I learned and understood rang true for me, and I was able to even go back, even after years of being absent from church, and see that God was still with me, and see all the ways that he was showing up in my life. So this is not just something that I'm believing and living because I was told to. This is what I know. This has been my experience. This is, this is my truth. And so I'm, I'm gonna. I feel like he said earlier. You said earlier. We just finished Bible study, and you said earlier something to the effect of, um, we don't have to prove the Bible, but sometimes we have to defend it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And Absolutely. so I find myself in conversation frequently. The percentage of people who don't believe in anything, any kind of God, or subscribe to any type of religion has been increasing yeah, over the years and so they call themselves nuns not n-u-n's but n-o-n-e-s as in i don't none of this makes sense to me i don't want no parts of any of it religion in general for me what that means is just like a structure a boundary a standard that you strive for and, that, and, and even even with that the whole nuns concept and i i don't speak against it it, mm -hmm. it is reality it is what it is the numbers are real uh you know i'm i'm very much in love with Jesus Christ, but I guess the first person I'm going to quote is Jay-Z. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> you know, he, he says men lie, women lie, numbers don't. And right. so uh, the numbers are real. But if we could qualify those numbers a bit, the reality, the vast majority of those nuns are nuns, 
not because of the faith itself or any inconsistencies with the doctrine or the truth of any particular faith or in, in particular Christianity, not because of the consistency of the Christian scripture or the Bible, but mainly uh, the majority of the time it is because of the inconsistency of the faith leaders, of the, the teachers, of 100%. the bearers of doctrine, of the theologians and a level of hypocrisy concerning them. So Absolutely. It, it has it has everything. And, I, and I'll say that the vast majority are all to do with those who bear the faith and not the faith itself. Right. Uh, you know, even those places in scripture that may look as as uh, inconsistency or contradictions, it's simply because you have not read far, far enough. You know, right. and, and I, I've had a, a myriad of people come to me with scriptures of, well, you know what? I read this scripture, then I read that scripture, and I say, well, have you read all scripture? Right. You know, because if you haven't done so, if you if you haven't you know read it in its entirety, uh, yeah, there'll be a myriad of, of inconsistencies, uh, just like in your life. I mean, you know, right. It, you know, there may be inconsistencies or contradictions now. But if you keep on living, you know, you, you know, those things will be answered. They'll, you know, they'll be solved. There'll be resolution. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that it really, it really boils down to those who bear the, bear the truth as opposed to the truth itself. I would 100% agree with that. Bishop, uh, my bishop at my church, Bishop Omer always says church wouldn't be so bad if it weren't for church folk. Right. <laughs> and it's the church folk who, similar to what you're saying, take certain scripture out of context. They take it bits and pieces, fragmented. And they kind of twist it to fit their agenda, which on some level I believe is a very un instinctive thing to do because you want to believe what you want to believe, whatever fits into whatever story you want to tell yourself. Right. And so you're going to take whatever pieces of whatever doctrine, Bible or whatever else, that fit that, that confirm that, that affirm that, um, and kind of make it make sense to soothe you and pacify mm -hmm. you and whatever choices and decisions that you're making. This is why it's important to have your own relationship because even if you do happen to run into a pastor, leader, teacher, or any just person who is saying something that you feel doesn't sit right with your spirit, you need to then be able to have the capacity to go for yourself, read, understand, and you know, use your own personal wisdom, discernment, and relationship with God to say, yeah, I'm not rolling. I spoke earlier about wishing I grew up because I wish I was more familiar with the word and I could use it and to defend the Bible and all that. But the flip side of growing up in the church, I think, is that you hear so much of the cliche and you get so familiar, I guess, quote unquote, with the scripture that it just kind of becomes wallpaper. And it doesn't really penetrate your heart, your spirit, your mind. It doesn't really show up in the way that you live. It's just kind of something you say because, oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. Or you say these things because... Mm -hmm they're just things to say, right? right? They're, they feel like the churchy thing to say. So, you know, for somebody coming in who is looking for that relationship, they're thirsting for that knowledge. They, they need that to get them through above, around, whatever they're going through. And then you just keep hitting them with the God is good all the time and all the time God is good. And, you know, just trust God. And So then people are like, well, if God is so good, I'm struggling. <laughs> who is this God that you keep telling me is good? Right. And, and I, now I don't believe you because it's been, you know, however long and I, I'm out here struggling. So people, especially historically, you know, we keep saying God is good and black people believe in God. OK, but what about slavery and what about all these things? And that makes people feel like somebody is being bamboozled out here. You know, something <laughs> uh, something that, that I do address that um, 
not just the nuns, but atheists and many other people, they always use the thought that Christianity is uh, it's a tool of those who are don't have a firm grasp on reality, mm-hmm. use it to inoculate them from the pains kind of society, naive, yeah. you know, uh, and, you know, just as, as a as a drug or as, you know, just some type of uh, device to, uh, you know, rid them of the pains of yeah. reality. Like to pacify us, basically. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the reality is, is that at least for biblical Christianity, and I know sometimes that can be, uh, you, know, a, you know, a cuss word or taboo, but, you know, <laughs> uh, for biblical Christianity, it has much more to do with the, the believer making the society, the life existence better than the believer looking for betterment. Right. We recognize that Christ, he came into the slums of society. He came to, he came to the lower places of life and he went there and made life better. He went to hungry people and fed them. He went to sick people and made, you know, made them well. He went to dead people and raised them to life. Uh, you know, at the very least, he went to a wedding that the bartender wasn't working properly. You know <laughs> right. what I mean? That he did right. not come with come enough on, wine. Come on, Jesus, turn up. And he gave them good wine. <laughs> right. You know? I love how, the, you know, in even that scenario, the wedding feast of Canaan, where the governor of the, uh, you know, the feast, you know, he says, man, why y'all wait to the end to give us the good wine? Right. You know, it is, it is the work of Christ to make society better. And I think that if we're going to call ourselves Christians or those who are like Christ, those who are of the way, that we should we should never, uh, you know, postulate an idea where we want God to make us better. But we, we allow the God in us to make society better, mm-hmm. embrace the reality that that all things that we need pertaining to life, according to the scripture, God has already put in us. And so we, we unlock the grace of God whereby we make life better and we we be a betterment to the society and the world that we live in. I think that's an incredible perspective to take because um, I believe that we are relational beings and in the, in the same way we approach our you know, natural earthly relationships is that mm-hmm. we go into it kind of with this thing of like, what can you do for me? Right. Right. And so then we in turn, approach our relationship with God with that same kind of, well, what can you do for me? And if you ain't showing up in this way that I want you to show up, then I don't know if you're really as good as people saying you are. And, I don't, you know, and it becomes this thing. And so we do have to transform our mind in such a way that says, well, how can I show up in a way in this situation, mm-hmm. bad as it may seem, that's going to better it yeah. as opposed to waiting for it to become better for my personal purposes yeah the christian idea is is not so much what can god do for me but having a a realization of what god has already done for me Ooh, come on. and and in light of what he's already done for me i will give him my life i will give him my heart i will give him my devotion and as i become one devoted to christ then i begin to emulate him in my life and so in, in that regard now i look at every scenario that i enter into with the mindset, not not going all the way to the left where I begin to or, or to the right, even for that matter, where I begin to embrace a Christ complex where then, you know, right. you know, I'm I'm Captain Saver everybody, you know, <laughs> right. but right. but I, I go into the scenario as one who is empowered by Christ, empowered by his Holy Spirit to say, how can I breathe grace into the scenario? How can I how can I in, encourage hearts, minds, believers, how, uh, you know, uh, of believers or how can I help doubters believe right you know how how can i you know how can i show christ how can i invite christ into this scenario yeah 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 that's 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 how it should be 
And with regard to this kind of same question of like the people who come in and say, okay, I peeked in, y'all said God is good, it ain't looking too good in there, I'm going to go about my business. Um, I was reading the other day the passage about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they were talking about, you know, them being thrown into the... Book of Daniel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Being thrown into the fiery furnace and all this whole kind of thing. And ultimately, what stood out for me the most... There was a portion of the scripture that said, you know, and I, we believe that our God is going to deliver us, but even if he doesn't. Mm-hmm. And it was like this thing of like, that's the piece that I feel like if we're going to talk about Christianity and, and biblical, you know, Christians using kind of scripture as this pacifying um, tool to get people just to get you through. Because I know you have no rough time. Mm-hmm. I just want to use it to get you through as opposed to just telling you the truth about life. And however you're going to take that is the, but even if he doesn't peace, right. like I'm believing God to do this thing and I'm trusting God to do these things because I do believe that he is good in my heart. But even if he doesn't, A, it doesn't change his goodness. B, it doesn't change my belief in his goodness. And C, I'm not resting everything that I believe or know to be true about what I've experienced on this one incident. Right. So it's that, but even if he doesn't. Yeah, you know, the, the, the amazing thing is, and, and just to, to expound on on that, you know, that perspective, of course, that, that those three Hebrew boys had, uh, I, I think far and wide, we have, we have mischaracterized uh, the whole biblical narrative. Uh, mm-hmm. Somewhere along the way, uh, we, we, <laughs> we classified the Bible as to be some book of answers right. for, for all of the woes of society. Right. When in reality, the Bible is... The, the narrative of God and his, in, in his desire uh, to allow his will to be done on earth through mankind. So in that regard, it's just like if, if, if this is an ultimate divine drama, if we are players in this drama, the reality is, is that I, I cannot tell the director how to, how to play me. Right. I, I have to play according to his writing. Right. I have to play according to his direction. And a lot of times we want God to acquiesce to our will, our desires, and, and, and just become some you know, esoteric butler. You right. know what I mean? When right. in reality, uh, it, 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 is, it should be the heart of the, of the real believer, just like Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to, to get to the place to say, God, if this is your will, then I'm going to play this thing out according to what you say. That's what we all should come to the, to the, uh, to the conclusion of, that God has a will for my life, and I have to live out that will. Romans 8 tells us that, that God is able to make all things work together for the good. A lot of times when people quote it, they say, my good or your good. Mm-hmm. Well, no, that, that, that would imply that, that God would hold all of time and humanity <laughs> Uh, for the sake of our enjoyment and for, for, the, for the sake of, you know, what we would desire as our preference. Mm-hmm. But when he talks about it working for the good, it means his ultimate good, his ultimate, his ultimate good. purpose being being manifested and not thwarted by any, you know, immediate plan. In, yeah. Isolated or singular event. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Totally. There's a there's a there's an interview that Lauren Hill does. Um, and this is after, you know, she's Lauren Hill. She has <laughs> the miseducation of Lauren Hill and this amazing album and all these Grammys and all these things happen. And then she, you know. By society standards, she's false from, from grace, right? From this kind of throne of R&B queendom. In order to be used by God, you have to really be used. 
you know, we always want to be used for the glorious jobs. Let God put me on the stage in front of the people in the Grammy show with a nice dress on. Let me just praise your name. But that's not being used. Sometimes in order to be used, you also have to be humiliated. You have to be humiliated sometimes. You have to be kicked and beaten. We don't always want to concede to the idea that when we ask him to use us, it might look like. Right. right. Like, no, I don't want that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't like I don't when we don't consider that. And so we immediately and this is another one of those cliche things. Oh, the devil is busy. You know what I mean? We immediately when something looks like what we don't align with our picture of what God intends for our lives, because God is good. Um, And when when we don't when things that happen in our lives don't align with this notion of whatever we mean, whatever good looks like to us, then we attribute it to like, oh, the devil is busy, as, as opposed to understanding that all of this is a part of God's will. Even some of this stuff that don't feel good, I don't feel right. I don't like it. I don't want it. That that's going to be God, too, because ultimately, even if it is the devil is busy, he has no authority. He can only operate by permissive will, by according to what God allows him to do. So still, it goes back to being God. Right. We, we tell, you know, I, I tell people here at Heavenly Vision, uh, you know, I say, you know what? If the devil is busy, it's only because God employed him. Exactly. You know, uh, you know, one of the one of the greatest biblical examples, uh, you know, the whole the whole entire book of Job. Exactly. You know, or as my little baby says, job. <laughs> uh, the, yeah, the, the whole the whole book of Job is is really a narrative of how God will use the complexities of disaster mm-hmm. to to really just manifest how awesome He is. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I mean, Job he loses. It, it is in the losing of everything. It is it is in the diminishment of everything that he finds true revelation of God. God comes to him and he and he asks Job a series of questions. He says, were you here when I created the earth? Did you advise me in, in putting these things in play? You know, of course, he, he has to answer in the negative. Uh, and, and God, pretty much his response is, is that, you know, if I didn't need your help to do any of this, Ooh. please come to the understanding. <laughs> I don't need your help in, in navigating through the complexities of your immediate situation. Right. If you came to a Batman movie, 10 times out of 10, Batman's going to win. Right. You know, even if this is a continuation movie and, you know, it's left like, you know, the old TV show, you know, will the penguin win? Right, you know, right. Join us next, you know, next week, same bat time, same bat time. Right. You know. The narrative is, is that ultimately he wins. Right. And the idea of the narrative of God is that ultimately the believer wins. Every scenario leads us to a greater revelation. And I think that if we if we tend to dilute or douse or even just run away from the the, the hard areas of our life, we're literally denying uh, true true revelation, insight, wisdom, opportunity for growth and building endurance. Yeah, the next phase of our life. I 100% agree with that, and that's that's kind of the posture that I take whenever I'm in the midst of something. I'm always like, okay, God, because. I don't want to be here no longer than I need to be. Right. So what I need to learn, how am I supposed to grow? What, what is it? Because let me find that as quickly as possible. I don't want to be sidetracked by complaining. I don't want to be sidetracked by woe is me. I don't want to be sidetracked by any of those things. I know that if I'm here, it's because you have me here for some reason greater than this moment. But if I have to go through it to get to whatever is next for me, don't let me miss it. 
Because now I went through it for nothing. <laughs> so I want to make sure I get what I'm supposed to get from that. Here's an amazing, here's an amazing parable. Um, I'm, I'm sure it might be familiar to some of your listeners. Uh, the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, the young man, he goes to the, you know, to the, to the distant country and he spends all of his money. He, you know, he turns up, you know, every night. And then, mm-hmm. then the, the Bible says that the famine comes. <laughs> and so in the midst of the famine, he's in the famine. And then he, the Bible says he comes to, you know, he's in the hog pen and he's going to eat the food of the, of the pigs. And then he comes to himself and he realizes, he, you know, he makes the statement that his, even his father's servants have more than enough to eat. And when he, when he gets back to the father's house, remarkably, there's no famine at the father's house. Right. Ultimate turn you know up. I mean? the and ultimate they have, turn up. They have a party, a famine-free party. <laughs> right. Now, the amazing thing is, is that, and the truth that, that we brought out from the scripture is that, you know, you can remove yourself from your own famine just by the changing of your mind. The changing of your mind. Changing of, you, you change your mind, and then your mind will change your location. So the amazing thing is, is that, I really think that people ought to begin to work more on their mental state mm-hmm. than their physical state. Ooh, because I say all the time, <laughs> y'all know I'm owner gym, personal trainer, I do all that. And a lot of the work that I do with new clients especially is I say to them, you got to change your mind before you change your body. Like, if you're not going to understand that it's going to be a different relationship with food, a different relationship mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. working out, right. a diff- all of these things, like you cannot You're preaching to me begin, <laughs> You cannot begin a transformation of your physical being and think that you're going to maintain the same habits that got you coming to me in the first place. Like it's not a real expectation. So we have to work on your relationship with food and how you think about it and how you talk about it. And I always talk about, like, we can't call it treats and we can't call it this. It's, <laughs> it's not comfort food if it's not comforting for you to end up the way you end up as a result of eating it. So right. we got to start changing our mind about things if we expect to see a different outcome. So I am all the way subscribed to this idea <laughs> of changing your mind and changing your perspective. And I talk always about about that and it just occurred to me that if people are unwilling to examine their thought processes around food and health in general then they're certainly not going to want to examine their thought processes around their belief system i mean you know your physical health is one thing but then you're talking about your spiritual health which has i think like we're saying here much larger ramifications and so i would even take it further to say that because of what they're afraid they might find when they look closely at themselves, they may not want to ask questions about their religion and all these other things because they may also be afraid of what they're going to find there. It's totally fine to investigate God. Right. It's totally fine to investigate the scripture. It's fine to investigate Christ because a lot of times in, in our life, um, you know, if somebody said, you know, you're under investigation, you know, we get nervous and right, we get, right, right. because our mind immediately goes to our, our inconsistency, go, goes to our find? proclivities and our propensities. Mm-hmm. But when we, when we go to investigate Christ, the Bible teaches us that he is all perfect. There is no sin in him. He, you know, there is, there, there is nothing of error in him. He is inerrant. Therefore, he can stand up against any you know, investigation. Mm-hmm. Any investigation of God will only, will only render a, a deep love and appreciation for who he is. Exactly. Another thing that I run into a lot in conversation, um, people will say, like, well, why do we have to die to experience the goodness of heaven? You know, ultimately, people feel like 
So I'm supposed to just suffer down here all the time. I'm supposed to be whacked down here, and I'm supposed to just take that to the chin and mm-hmm. wait till I get to heaven. Like that's whack. And so people be like, "No, I want to turn up on right. here. I want to be rich. I want to travel or whatever that whatever that experience that they equate with, you know, heavenly experiences here on earth. They don't want to wait. So, what would you say to a person who has a question like well, that? Well, I mean, uh, Jesus, he, he makes a just a clear statement in the Gospels. When he tells a believer that he came that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly, he's speaking directly to the life that they would live on earth. Mm-hmm. Now, <laughs> what needs to happen is, is that there, there needs to be uh, really a reconciliation or at the very least a recontextualization of what we consider abundance. Whoa. You know, we, we, we really have to <laughs> yep. we really have to embrace what what true abundance is. And because a lot a lot of times we want here's 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 what I've learned, Joy. You can want certain things that your body doesn't even have the capacity to handle. Yes. And there are a lot of things that we may that we may consider as, you know, as desirable and what we want. But really, you know, we can't even handle it. And something I've learned, <laughs> really, something I've learned about, about the sovereignty of God, every good, the Bible says this, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father uh, who, who gives unabridedly. In other words, he gives without holding back. Mm-hmm. I think what, what we consider the quote-unquote good life is the life that we want that God has determined we can't handle or we should not have. And for some people, I've learned if you want more, increase your capacity. Hello. Okay. I, and I, I, I've said this. We were in a money teaching series a couple yes. of, uh, last year. I said, yes. and I said that God doesn't give according to necessity. He gives according to capacity. Exactly. So God's not going to give you something just because you want it or for that matter, because you need it. God's only going to give you if, if, if it's coming from him. God's only going to give you what you have the capacity to handle. Right. Emotional desire does not equal spiritual readiness. <laughs> Come on. Jesus. And that's that's just really that's really what it is. And and there's another thing that Bishop said, Bishop Omer said a while ago that that always sticks with me and it comes up regularly in conversation and that is um basically not to allow your talents to take you where your character can't keep you. And to me what that means is, you know, we are giving gifts. We all have everything Absolutely. that we need within us already to be exactly who it is God called us to called us to be. And a lot of times, you know, it came up for me one time. I was speaking to a friend of mine who was an incredibly talented athlete, basketball player. And he kind of just had this really kind of salty spot because he never really made it to where he thought. He thought that he should be, you know, have played professionally in the NBA and all these things. And but the more we talked about that, the more I saw like it didn't have anything to do with his skill as a basketball player. Right. And in that capacity and in that respect, he was probably absolutely 100 percent correct that he should have made it to whatever NBA league or whatever. But it has nothing to do with the skills that you had as a basketball player, as an athlete. It had everything to do with everything that comes with the life of being a professional athlete. Um, that you could not have handled, that would have broken you down, that you think you wanted, Mm -hmm. but that God knew you could not handle. You can't handle, the way I hear you talk about how you deal with women in relationships, you can't handle being exposed to women who are going to chase you down and do the things that happen. (laughs) You can't handle money. I've seen you get a small check, and, and <laughs> you know what I mean, and get, get some, you know, check. just a little, just a little bit of extra change. And I've That's seen how, you, how you run through that, you know. <laughs> so just all the things that come with being a professional athlete, 
it is those things. And I remember we had to, when, when it became apparent to me, and we had that conversation, because this is a friend of mine who we, we, can, we can talk in this way, and it was like, dang. Like, yeah, it he, was like ton of bricks. Like, yo, I never, because he was always looking at it from, from the perspective of, I'm so good, I should have. You know, and having this kind of resentment, and it kind of goes back to, you know, for the good yeah. of God, the Romans 8.28, like, in your mind, you thought, for your good, which would have been to be in the NBA because that's what you thought you deserved or wanted, but really, you weren't ready for all the other stuff that came with it. Something I teach is that most times the hardest thing to see is self. Right. Even when we when we ask it's when we ask God for certain things and we look for success or when we when we strive for certain things, we we become in love with the image of us in that scenario. Not realizing that it's the present us that will be in that scenario. Right. And so if the present us is not capable of handling that, then 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 the future us won't have it. Not, not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. And so, <laughs> you know, before I, I'm praying and asking God for any particular thing, I, I would have I would have needed to make sure that my life you know, justifies me asking for that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, uh, That's good. You know, even as it relates to the growth of our church, you know, even, even as it relates to our individual lives, we have to be willing to be honest and reconcile our, our present capacity. Right. And not to say that we can't gain more and be more and have more, but we need to be willing to put in the work in order, in order to get to that place. Right. And if we don't, don't be mad at God because he, he acknowledges our capacity and deals with us according to that right there i was listening to td jackson one day and he kind of gave this example in line with this where he basically said you know you wouldn't just give your car keys to you know a five-year-old like you wouldn't do it right as their you know as their father and you know as god is our father he's not going to give us something that he knows we can't handle thereby setting us up for failure like if you give a five-year-old the car keys you don't then get to turn around and be surprised that they crashed. Like that's <laughs> right. you had to know that that was coming because you put them in a situation or you gave them permission to enter into a situation that was not even in alignment with their capacity to complete the task Absolutely. or to meet the need or to do any of those things. And so I do think it, it does become and it kind of goes back to that thing earlier instead of looking at God and saying okay well God well how come you're not doing these things it's almost like you not even almost like it is like you need to look at yourself and say okay well what is it about me that's not ready for that and I, I had to have no my own I remember yeah. one I remember this summer a couple summers ago I was you know praying and you know I want a relationship and marriage and a family and I want these things in God okay and I'm praying about it and I remember my my cousin came to stay with me for a couple months and one day I came home and she didn't do anything. She just, she was sitting on the couch and I opened my door and she was just right there. And it was just like, <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, and it you know, it, it was just like, I, I was so used to coming. Yeah, I was not ready. I was so used to coming home and just having my space, whatever. And she did not do anything. And, she, and as a matter of fact, when I walked in, she said, hey, how are you? How was your day? You know, super sweet and kind and, you know, helpful and all these things. But I just remember I walked in my room and I sat on the edge of the bed and I said, okay, God, I see what you're doing. <laughs> I'm asking you, telling you I want to share my life with somebody. I can't even share my living room. Right. Like, what you think? So it was like yeah. it, I had to check myself. Like, you think, you're, you think you want this family. You think you're ready for that. 
And maybe emotionally you desire that, but spiritually you're not ready because you're not even ready to walk in the house and have somebody on your couch, let alone in your business all every kind of way. So it it was a moment for me to go, mm, okay, I see what you did. And, and, I see, and, God, what you did right there. You checked me quick. <laughs> just, just to add some complexity even to that. Uh, sometimes, you know, we pray and ask God, you know, we say, you know, God, you know, I, I, I want a, I want a fruitful life. I want a fruitful life. Well, it, it, if you want a fruitful life, then let me send you some dung. <laughs> let me, let me send you some, right. let, let me, let me, let me send you some things that's not desirable. Let me send you something that stinks. Let me send mm. you something that's, that's heavy and that's hard because it will be through, through your management of those things mm-hmm. that produces the fruit. Right. You know, a lot of times, you know, we want the fruit without a root and right. it, it don't work. It just Ooh. don't work. Any, any fruit that is produced is produced from a root. Right. And if we're not if we're not willing to, to, to lay the roots and, and to manicure that thing, we will not see true fruit because anything else it, it's just plastic it's it's fake it, you know it is it is manufactured not grown and it, it, and that thing will not you, last you know you know we know all about uh laboratory food right and everything it, it, that's going on with us it today will, it will not work and it won't it won't produce good in you it will not <laughs> yeah you come on it won't produce good <laughs> in you yes and so there was another piece that i wanted to bring up and it was kind of going back to something we said earlier about Uh, manipulating the word or just you know using fragmented pieces Mm -hmm. of scripture tony evans i was listening to him one day and he said uh we want god to come along for the ride but we want to put him in the trunk (laughs) yeah you know we we want him to be there in case of emergency if i need to pull over and pull you out but i don't really want you driving this thing telling me where to go so it's kind of like is he the is he the is he the steering wheel of the spare tire right exactly (laughs) exactly and i think one of the biggest areas where that shows up in our culture particularly today is in the area of like of sex and dating Mm -hmm. right where it's like people are like well it doesn't really say we can't shack up or it doesn't really say or or you know even the things that are explicit, that are just like, don't do it. Mm-hmm. We're like, but I mean, we think we got it under in control. This day like, age, yeah, know, I, like, yeah, that ain't I'm real. Grown and I already did it anyway. So or, why? I gotta, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or we think that we can handle whatever you know the consequence of it is. Right. And so if we think of it as like, well, if I have a baby, I just have a baby, as though like that's the only thing. And so it's, it kind of becomes this like taking certain pieces of what we know to be true or what we know to be biblical principle or even just straight up law that is like okay but how do I make this make sense in 2016 well you know what I mean and what does that look like the apostle Paul he teaches on uh, he teaches on sex uh, and just just sexual purity and immorality uh, like around I guess around uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 7 I believe uh, and you know, I'm not turning to the Bible now. <laughs> you know, I don't want to misquote anything. But um, one one thing in particular that he teaches, uh, you know, he talks about how sexual sin is different than than most other sins, mm-hmm. and not not to say that it, it's it's worse or in any, any degree, but he talks about the implications of it. Mm-hmm. You know, he says sin is, is the only sin that we sin against our own body. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how, you know, when we, when we uh, engage in, in, in sexual intercourse with somebody, we take on them. Mm-hmm. We become part of them. Mm-hmm. They become part of us. There, there is an intrinsic soul tie that happens even beyond the physical 
activity or the, or the physical engagement whereby if we engage in sex with the wrong person, we carrying around the wrong person. Right. You know, we're carrying around parts of them. Uh, we're, we're, I mean, you know, their, their quirks, their idiosyncrasies and all this kind of stuff that we probably don't want to hold on to. Right. And so it's not just God saying, you know, here's my holy standard, abide by it because I said so. It's God saying, don't do this because you're going to mess you up. Right. And you I ain't going to be able to hear me. Mm-hmm. You ain't going to be able to hear you. All you're going to be stuck on is this. It's them. And that, 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 <laughs> and I think that's, I don't want to say my beef, but, but like if, if more people, churches, teachers, pastors taught it from that perspective, I think it would have a very different connotation. And I also think it would have a much more effective reach because right, right. I think a lot of people take it from their perspective of, you know, you just don't do it because it's bad, it's wrong, it's nasty yeah. or whatever. And for me, when the way I understand it is that it's less about the act of sex itself and all of those implications the that residual. you just spoke about, Absolutely. all of those other things. And if you understood that, and then, or if you have had sex and you have experienced that, then it's like, okay, well, whoa, I don't want all of those things. And then ultimately, it's those things that cause us to break up. But then now I'm still carrying them anyway. Absolutely. So then Absolutely. now what? Now am I taking those things that caused me to break up with you? But now I have them and I'm taking them into the next thing. And I keep saying I don't want them. But what am I going to do with them? Mm-hmm. Because, you know what I mean? So, but, deal, but if nobody's teaching you that that's what it was, then you don't even realize that you, A, can do something with them. Or that you should do something with them because you don't even realize that you have them because that's not the conversation that's happening. And so I think we need to approach it. Even beyond that, you know, we talk about waiting until marriage, right? And so then if for all of these years I've been told that sex is wrong, bad, and nasty and that desiring it makes me wrong, bad, and nasty, then all of a sudden I'm supposed to get married and be excited about it? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> and do all turn, the wrong, yeah, bad, and nasty stuff. Yeah, and flip the switch <laughs> and, feel, and feel all this right. excited way about it. Right. Like, literally from one day to the next. Like, now I'm married, mm-hmm. you know, and sex switches on. Absolutely. Like, that's not real. So the, how do we The do? church needs to do a far better job as it relates to, uh, you know, teaching on sex. My, my wife and I, we have teens and toddlers. <laughs> so, so um, you know my you know my my oldest son is sixteen, mm-hmm. and my youngest daughter is three. Right. And uh, all of my children have a context of sex. Yeah. Even even my three year old, and you know it may not. Of course, it's, it's not as expanded as my sixteen year old, but right. it, it's an idea. You know, for for her, it's just you know, daddy kiss mommy. Cause right. they marry and marry people kids like right. yeah 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 you know good and you know and my son you know even when my, with my I took my wife away uh you know for her birthday which you know which just took place happy birthday Kay I love you hey uh, <laughs> happy birthday I, girl I just gotta put that in there you know and so you know when I'm getting ready to take her away you know we went and got a convertible for the week and everything and you know and my son looks at me like oh you and mom have a real good time with that. and I'm like oh my you know but no! even, even, you know. But even even with him, like he has a he has a context of you know oh I think my mom and dad go have sex you know <laughs> right. you know but it's still done in in the proper context right. and so you know we 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 teach our children that and we teach it in the right context so that they understand that you know sex is not bad right. we just do bad stuff with it right you know sex is a is a tool mm-hmm. and just like any tool a tool can either fix something or break something mm-hmm. the way we use it right and. Nine times out of ten, it has to do with knowledge. Right. That's if good. I know That's how good. to use the tool, 
I'll use it to fix things and make things and, and create things. If I don't know how to use the tool, nine times out of ten, I will break and and destroy things and waste resource. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like money, it is a tool. Mm-hmm. It is a tool. And if we use it right, we will do great things with it. If we use it wrong, we will do bad things with it. And so I think we have to begin to contextualize things properly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, you know, even in the church, you know, a lot of times the reason why it's been done, it's been taught improperly, if taught at all, because of our own proclivities as the teachers. No, oh, yeah. You know, if, 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 I, if I have certain sexual proclivities that I haven't reconciled, then I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not going to teach about it. I'm not, I'm not going to talk about sex and this and that because, you know, mm-hmm. I may be arousing certain things in me that I don't want to deal with. Right. You know what I mean? Right. But, uh, you know, and, and some, some people have, you know, Karen and my wife and I, we're sexual beings. We, we, we know how to engage in sex and we deal with it, you know, and, and we're free enough in our sexuality mm-hmm. to where we can teach on it and talk about it and handle it. Right. But now, if, if I got sexual tension with every woman who comes into me that has a certain type of, of body style, right. you know, and, and if I haven't dealt with those <laughs> things in myself, then I'm not going to talk about it. Right. So I, I really think that even for the teacher and for the, those who will, you know, engage in it, you know, we have to make sure that we re- reconcile, you know, all, all of our, you know, thoughts. We we have to we have to look at things full circle. You, do, you know, you we, we, we have to look at the the context we are creating by our proactivity or our non activity. Mm-hmm. We have to look at the you know the context that we are developing and build proper context. We teach parents how to talk to their kids about sex. Now, you know, you know, we ain't talking about, you know, bring out a porn video like come on, look right, at this no, little Jimmy. Right. Like, no, no, no. But parents need to give their children proper uh, affection. Absolutely. Whereby we teach our children how to properly reconcile their their emotions and their affection, because if we don't, even when especially with our boys, I said fathers you need to hug your sons, hold them, kiss your sons, yeah. and teach them how to embrace these realities. Uh, even you know, two two sides of that coin. One for those who 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 fall into the grips of homosexuality. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot a lot of men mm-hmm. who engage in homosexuality. If if you really like really start studying certain things some of them never engaged in any level of affection with their fathers Mm. and the only way they could reconcile that affection toward another man if they felt affection toward another man it manifested in i'm gay now wow because if I if I if I have affection for this man, if I feel these emotions, these feelings for this man, then I must be gay. No, you just love this guy. Right, and it doesn't and have be, to be a sexual. And because you don't know how to manifest your love in any other way, then this is how it's going to. This is how it's going to be manifested. Interesting. Interesting. And so if if we don't contextualize these things in our family, I mean, it can. I mean, or, you know, or the young girl who never had their daddy hold them and hug them and love on them, and now we call sister so and so a hoe. But right. the reality is, is that she she was she was suppressed. She never had right. a man to hug her. So the first man to hug her, she open her legs, right. and every man that hugs her subsequently, excuse me, she go open yeah, her legs yeah. because that that was you know I, I said how we need to we need to correlate even for our young girls we need to correlate uh, affection with provision. Right. And if we don't correlate the two, then she, you know she'll be able to en- enjoy someone's affection and never cause them to have to provide for her. Right. Ooh wee. But if I, I, as a father, if I am affectionate toward my daughter, I I build a correlation in her right now to know that if I'm affectionate to you, 
it's going it's going to be a derivative of my provision for you. Right. And so you you won't detach the two. And so any man in her future who will, who will be affectionate toward her but won't provide for her, she will see an inconsistency and she will hope she that. She will reject that. She will say, no, no, no. This is not that how it goes. That ain't how that goes. This ain't how it goes. You know? <laughs> so if that. we don't contextualize this, if we don't teach now, you know, it, it'll, it'll boil into the other problems later. Oh, that is good. That is good. Excuse me. That felt like a rabbit hole. I'll no, no, no. <laughs> One of the taglines I say on the show is... Um, a place to come and be while we're still becoming and so absolutely it's absolutely. just you know where are we right now and then who are we evolving into and we talk that out and yeah, i think that's an important thing to do because you know and i think that that whole mindset of progression uh i think it makes us okay with the places that we are and as mm-hmm. you were speaking of earlier about you know well you know if god is so good why is my life like this and so on um, you go into like malls or hotels or places mm-hmm. that they have these signs that, that says part in our mess, you know, yeah. you, know you know, construction in progress, mm-hmm. things of that nature. Uh, you know, we'll go down a certain street, we see scaffolding and all this kind of stuff. And we're okay with that because we know that they're building something. Right. But when we see the dust and the, and the debris in our life, we get mad at it. Yeah. But we don't understand that, you know, your life is not a finished product. It's a construction site. Right. And so you don't you don't get mad at the, at the you know at the construction site. Like, oh my God, this is so dirty! I can't believe this. Right. Why is it like this? No, you know that something is being built and or improved upon, or, or, or you know, or even a, a, an existing structure is being improved. Yeah. And so whether there's construction or improvement or refurbishment, whatever the case is, I'm not mad at that process. I'm not mad at the inconvenience having to go around to the other exit or using the service elevator. I'm not mad at that because I know that something is being made better. And so we have to be able to reconcile our lives in the same way. If I'm struggling through something right now, if I'm, if I'm at a hard place right now, I'm not mad at that. I'm recognizing that ultimately the Father is constructing something greater in my life. He's put me in a place, in a position where I, I got to get better. And so pardon my mess. Right. Pardon the debris. We, we have to also begin to accept that we live in a relative world. So I can't experience hot if I don't no cold or I can't experience up if I don't know down I can't like we cannot always be in depth. one continuing state of absolutely you know being like we we have to understand that the pendulum swings both ways mm-hmm. and so if you over here and you you know in the money or you're in the love or you're in the whatever it is <laughs> that is your measurement of whatever feels good to you and it's not about being morbid in your thinking like, oh, I know it's going to end one day. And just waiting for that. It's not that. But it is acknowledging that if and when that day does come, that's just part of it. Right. And so we don't get to ignore that part of it or then denounce everything that we've ever believed when that part comes along. Like it just says literally when we go through the fire, when we go through the deep waters, like when we will. Mm-hmm. But we will go through them. Absolutely. Not you know, be stuck in them. Like, you know, like our, our subconscious is so vast and so wide, but then, uh, you know, our, our, our thought process, our ethos, our paradigms are so limited. Right. And so in order, in order to see the life that we dreamed about, we have to wake up and build it. Right. Um, you alluded earlier to, we were speaking about sex as a tool, and then you also mentioned money as a tool. Another thing that uh, I think is a kind of widely expressed or used phrase is that you know money is the root of all evil and first of all it's the love of money that right. is the root of all evil that's, that's, that's so exactly what I, I think that we first need to acknowledge that 
for a lot of us, we've been using it wrong. And because we've been using it wrong, the way that it shows up in the manner of guilt in terms of making money for some people or detaching money making from anything that is of service or godliness. And so then people come into this thing like they have issue with tithing or giving the church money or from the perspective of being a service person, you know, you do what you love and you feel guilty for taking money for it because you feel like, oh, but this is my gift from God and I feel like I shouldn't take money for it. And so we have this really warped perception of how we are to use money in our lives because we've been kind of basing it on this really misquoted Mm -hmm. um, concept or idea that money is the root of all evil and it's really it's not that it's the love of money and so acknowledging that what money is and that it is a tool and it's a necessary tool and being able to operate from that place Mm. (coughs) and and just so you know so so we're clear uh, this this comes out of uh, first Timothy Mm-hmm. Uh, and we know that, of course, First Timothy, First um, and Second Timothy, these are Paul's personal letters to his son Timothy. So this wasn't even this wasn't even a church epistle, you know. Like you look at Romans and Ephesians, and these are letters like general letters that were for the whole church. This was actually a, a personal letter that Paul wrote to his personal son right. <laughs> Timothy. And when he tells Timothy that the love of money is the root of all evil, he's talking to Timothy and just, you know, just kind of historical basis. Timothy became the bishop of the church of Ephesus. Mm-hmm. And these two uh, missives that Paul sends him is kind of like, you know, his training material. Mm-hmm. It's like Paul preparing him. And so even in doing that, uh, Paul was telling him, you know, son, don't fall in love with the money. You know, because if you do that, then evil is going to become of you. Mm-hmm. You know, not saying don't take money, don't engage in money. Uh, you know, we look at uh, the first century church. You go back to Acts when, <laughs> when, when, you know, they preach the gospel and thousands are being saved. The Bible says that the people, they came and they put their money at the apostles' feet. I mean, the apostles, they, I mean, they, they had literally thousands of dollars and maybe even in certain in certain areas like especially if we're in Rome like millions of dollars at their disposal right so much to the degree that they they lifted up you know they they appointed deacons you know what right. I mean and it is probably why you know deacons <laughs> and the money so you know it, it's historical you know what I mean? like, why the deacons all well that's kind of what they were called for right but anyway uh, you know uh there th- there should be no issue yeah there there should be no issue concerning you know finances with people if we appropriate it properly what we do with our treasures will be a barometer of where our heart is and so God even can use money to really show us who we are and where we are I mean Paul even tells us that God will multiply seed for the sower you know what I mean so it it is certain people you know certain people all will have more money than others but it'll only be because they they know what to do with it right their capacity going back to what we talked about earlier their capacity to be good stewards of that money. And, and even for, you know, with Heavenly Vision, you know, we're, we're like a, you know, one offering church. You know what I mean? We have right. one offering, uh, you know, per Sunday. I know some churches that don't raise an offering and they raise millions of dollars a year uh, simply because of the stewardship of that place. And, and Heavenly Vision, you know, thank God for, you know, our congregation. They, they know that, you know, myself and our leaders, you know, we are good stewards. If we, if we bring money in, we're going to do with the money what we say we're going to do with it. And we don't have to hide, you know, what God does for us or you know we don't we're not you know totally you know flashy and all that kind of stuff we we live according to our standard of living you know when we make more we do more we have more and we're using it as we said as a tool we don't behold to it if i got a lot of money 
then then I'm, I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do, do with a lot, a lot of, of money. Yeah. If I don't have a lot of money, if I, have, if I have a little bit of money, I'm gonna do what I do with a little bit of money. But the money won't the money won't contextualize me. I'll always contextualize my money. And that goes back to similarly what we were talking about earlier with the whole depending on you know the pastors, leaders, and teachers and how they are presenting um, themselves and aligning with the truth of what right. is being said. And so. People, you know, of course, tithing is always an issue. Oh, you want to ask for tithes instead of this and that and the other, and you driving this kind of car, your congregation has got this kind of car. And it's always, I always hear the, the beef or the, the apprehension coming from that place. Well, I, I, can, I can see both sides of that argument, and mm-hmm. I tend to try to, you know, make sure that I walk the line in that concept. Uh, because I, you know, I do, you know, I am that guy that's like, you know what? If your church is in South Los Angeles, you probably shouldn't be driving to Bentley to church. Whoa, <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> but right. but but on on the other hand, I I I'm also that guy that says, you know what? If this is the medium income of your congregation, if 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 you invest your money mm-hmm. and you're wise with your money, you know, and you're not, you know, you're not prostituting your congregation. If this is the car that God is God has allowed you to purchase. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. With, with any other area of employment or, or any other job field, uh, every part of you becomes an, becomes an occupational hazard. Mm-hmm. You know, the way you dress. You know, if, you know, I, I use a few examples, Joe. If, if, if you were like morbidly obese. Right. Like, I don't think people <laughs> would, you know, they wouldn't buy into, you know, this whole East Leaf Sweat. Well, I know you do two of them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, do it again, man. I, I don't know what that third one. I don't know how much sweat you do. But, uh, you know, the, the reality is that, yes, you know, uh, my image mm-hmm. is a part of what I do. You right. know, and so, uh, yes, I do believe that as spiritual leaders, you know, we need to we need to mind our images. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, if I'm looking like a pimp, you know, and right. I have rings on every finger, right, right. you know, and my car is all blinged out and, you know, and I, <laughs> you know, like that's doing a lot you know yeah yeah, that's that's something that's a next level (laughs) but i think part of it and i see the thing is the other part of it is having not grown up in church and hearing even now i'm sure you see them on facebook there is a ton of people who do all these different types of church parodies and they're funny to me but i can't always relate to them because i didn't grow up going to church and so some (laughs) of these stories i've heard over and over stories about being at church all day from, you know, morning right, till night. Right. That's, I've never experienced that. It's funny to me and I'm, it, it must be real because enough people talk right, about it, right. but it's not my experience. And so it's, I, I kind of grapple with some of these things that I hear because it's not been my experience. And so I've never had an issue with going to church and tithing. Like mm-hmm. I've never felt like I ain't giving you my money because I've always felt like Spirit is being fed. I'm growing. My life is changing as a result of my relationship with God that is being led and taught by this pastor. So, yeah. yeah and, I'm and, on, and you know I'm what? Put on in this bucket. The, the amazing <laughs> thing is, and like, like we mentioned earlier, it, it really has to do with, uh, with the people who are leading. And many people who have those experiences, they've been disenfranchised by, mm-hmm. you know, by leadership. And mm-hmm. because of that, they have these jaded mentalities and these mm-hmm. jaded mindsets. Uh, I, I think one of my mission field is disenfranchised Christians. Right. You know, just just really recontextualizing what your thought of church is. You know, and, and I know a lot of people are like, you know, for those who are fed up with church, 
we're not an anti-church. Oh, right. So I, I don't think you should, you should, you know, you know, go to polar opposite. Right. I think you should recontextualize what it should actually be. As opposed to just throwing out the baby with the bathwater. I really think that we ought to just clean that thing up, mm-hmm. you know, and really do church, do ministry. Uh, all of these concepts operate and present them from a totally biblical perspective and, and allow people to choose for themselves. The, the next question, I think, is the big question and that I see a lot in social media, especially when we're having conversations. The thing about the world now, I think a large part of what we see with resistance and nonconformity or just even confusion or just, mm. you know, outright rejection is because we just have access to so many opinions and we have access to so much information readily available, literally at our fingertips, in our pockets, usually on our phone. If you are not rooted, if you're not connected, if you're not um, convicted, if you're not aware of what you believe from a point of not just experience, but also just kind of knowledge, whether it be historical context, yeah. then it, you can be easily shaken. Like in laying out the nuances. Yeah. Of, you know, the and so what is very popular right now, at least with the people that I'm friends with, is this whole like um, concept of the white Jesus who was given to us by slave masters in order to keep us slaves in line. I have seen, I feel like recently, the divide just become really stark. And what I'm really noticing a lot of is people who once upon a time were Jesus all up and through their timeline, switch and they like, straight up, I ain't rolling Mm-mm. with no, nothing about Jesus. And it's like, okay, whoa. To just kind of address or debunk i guess this whole idea of you know why jesus given to us by slave masters for the purpose of controlling us and maybe there's pieces of that that are that are you know um are valid right because again we talk about people using christianity or any religion as a manipulative tool to control whoever the followers are of that i don't personally believe that jesus had blonde hair and blue eyes like I don't, I don't believe that. Not based on what I understand about where he came from geographically, about what people look like is historically during those times. Like I, it's difficult for me to say. Yeah, Jesus had long, shoulder length blonde hair that was straight with blue eyes and fair skin. Like I don't know, and it doesn't say anything yeah. <laughs> about and, that. And, and uh, yes, yeah, <laughs> I totally understand that. Um, I, I'll start by saying this. Every culture that embraces Christ will I- imagine him, image him <laughs> in, 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 a, in a way that is most comforting and familiar to their culture. Right. Uh, even before all, a lot of these, you know, these, uh, you know, these European images, uh, you know, of course, we know that, you know, Michelangelo and then, you know, and, uh, you know, Rembrandt, Rodin, you know, in, in, Embodying, you know, imagine giving their art, artistic interpretation of Christ. Uh, of course, Michelangelo being the most popular, what we get, and you know, all those things, pictures in the Sistine Chapel and things of that nature, uh, a, a more uh, Eurocentric concept. But some of the earliest paintings of Jesus, some of the most earliest artist renderings of Jesus, are from Ethiopia mm-hmm. and Mesopotamia, and he looked Ethiopian, right, and Mesopotamian, <laughs> and because of that. 
Uh, I can't say that one image is wrong ab above another. Now, of course, we know the Anglo-Saxon, the, the, uh, the most common image of Jesus. And even in these predominantly black churches, they have this white Jesus up. You know, and I tell people, if you go to, you know, Slaws and Swap Meet, you're going to see Jesus buff with tattoos and dreads. <laughs> Every culture, you know, embodies Christ according to their image. And they, and they reflect that image in one that is, uh, that is reminiscent and that is able to be connected to their own culture. Mm -hmm. uh, and for that, in that, I don't think that's wrong. Now, for those who have, you know, who have gone off the reservation from Christianity and calling it the white man's religion and, and so forth and so on, we have to, first of all, understand that Christianity predates uh, the, any concept of the Anglo-Saxon or the quote-unquote white man, the, the, the European empire. <laughs> as it stands mm -hmm. or as it has stood uh, Christ Christianity uh, as a faith uh, started in the first century mm -hmm. you know and even even as it relates to you know slavery and things of that nature which took place 17th 18th 16th 17th 18th century uh, you know this these were you know of course hundreds of years thousands of years at, th at least more than a thousand years after uh, first century Christianity was even even came onto the scene any and everything, if it is used wrong, can be used as a tool uh, 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 or device that will divide people. Right. Uh, Christianity was used the same way. Mm -hmm. That's wrong. And any faith leader that does not acknowledge that, they're doing their faith a disservice. I know that, that uh, white America has used Christianity in a wrong way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Again, it is not the faith that is an error. It is those that propagate it that is an error. I'll ask any person of any faith tradition, find the truth. Mm -hmm. don't, 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 don't just look for the church to give you the truth. You get a Bible for yourself. Get, learn Hebrew. Right. <laughs> learn Greek. And read it for yourself. Mm -hmm. And if you see the same inconsistencies that have been propagated through faith leaders, let's talk. Right. But if that truth begins to manifest itself to you, live according to it. Right. And not according, according to, to somebody it. else's interpretation. And not according to anybody it. else's interpretation. Don't believe God just because of what an institution tells you about him. Mm -hmm. Don't believe God just because your family, your friends, your loved ones have always believed him. Believe him because you have had a personal encounter with him. Don't build a bias against God because of what anybody else has said. If, if you have learned of him and you just don't like what you learn, then yeah, okay, there's your bias. Right. But don't build a bias against God or against religion or against faith. Simply because of what has been propagated to you from others. Build, <laughs> build your, your hope or your hate on the truth. Well, there it is, y'all. <laughs> well, there it is. I just so appreciate you being willing to come on today and just kind of deal with some of these common ones that I come across because I'm just going uh, somebody going to question me I'm going to be like press play on this <laughs> right. I'm just going to know but I do appreciate before we go um, tell us about like your services your anything you have going on that people are welcome to come yes, to I, wa I want you to I want people to, to come on out well I, I, I am blessed to pastor the Heavenly Vision Church here in Los Angeles where it is our vision to reach save strengthen and mature that's, that's why we exist we are located as I said, in Los Angeles, 243 West 85th Street. Uh, pretty much everything you want to know about what's going on here, you can find on our website, and that is hvcla.com. 
Uh, Sundays we're here at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Uh, that's you know it's a beautiful worship service. Uh, you know you never you never know what's going to happen. You know just God just moves prophetically and and we love it. So 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. on Sundays, Tuesdays we are here at 12 noon and 7 p.m. You can follow me personally on I'm on uh, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, Twitter, James Ray Taylor, <laughs> just all one word, James Ray Taylor. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we can, you know, and even any questions that may arrive from listening to this podcast, you know, I, I invite it. People can, you know, they, they can, you know, hit me up on social media and uh, we can have a dialogue. Uh, I, I am prayerfully one of those faith leaders uh, that helps people uh, get closer to God and not push people away. And yeah. so uh, thank you, Joy, for giving me this opportunity. Uh, you know, I, I, I love you. I love God's people. I love everybody. Yeah. <laughs> In yeah. Jesus name. In Jesus name. I also want to just let you guys know that we, I come here on Tuesdays for Bible study and they do Facebook live stream. So if you cannot come to the actual service, <clears throat> excuse me, or, stu- or study, then um Log on to Facebook and yeah, check yeah. us out James Tuesdays Ray at Taylor. noon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. be on our, my Facebook page. Yeah, it's really good study time, and I just I, I so appreciate your teaching and, and you guys opening up to me here. You and Lady K, shout out to Lady K again. Love you, dear. Who isn't here, but super pours into me. We sat here a couple weeks ago. Oh, on the first of every month. Let me say this. Oh yeah, on the first That's of good. every That's month. That's good. That's good. She has is called the First Ladies. Right, yeah, first ladies communion. First ladies communion on the first of every month. She is here all the live long day. Okay, <laughs> early in the morning to the evening, and I came here on the first of uh, I think it was the first of May, and we sat in here for four hours, and this lady poured into me, and it was laughs, it was tears, it was questions, it was it was everything, and I think it's so important. Again, I always say we are relational beings. We see God. We see more of God through each other. We share our experiences and how God shows up for us. And that's how we learn more about who he is, who he has always been, who he will always be. And so I just appreciate Lady Kay and Bishop Bishop Taylor and their openness and their honesty and their kind of transparency and their authenticity and their willingness to just be available to, to us. So I just always appreciate coming here and knowing that the doors are open and the congregation is always willing to accept me here and they're welcoming and I, I just I love that they are the epitome I think of what we are called to be in this world the light and the salt that we're called to be in this world so um, that's our goal amen. yeah so well, we love you too Joy well thank <laughs> you um, and then you can also follow me on social media at Joy Hearts J O I H E A R T S um, and then follow find me there that's Periscope Twitter Instagram I'm also on Facebook same as well Joy Hearts so any of those places check me out. And um, I will be talking to you guys soon. Thanks for tuning in. And until next week.